0: What is up, Internet? How much longer will you follow me? My name is Matthew Kroll. And the difference between film and memory
1: is that film is always false. My name is Shahir Dowd.
0: And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Long Day's Journey. In tonight.
1: And I gotta say, I'm uh, proud of us a little bit because we We did
0: it uh, we did a shift
1: a real we, quick. We, we did a real quick shift because we knew that Long Day's Journey Into Tonight, the new guy uh uh bygone film, uh was only playing for this week in New York City. Yep. Uh and we could have we could have gone and seen a movie about a man uh uh seeking vengeance for sure, his dead. sure canine friend it's a little more to that but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh but we opted not to because we thought i well this is actually prompted by red Charizan's email from yes. uh or his, for, vo- his voice voicemail his, yeah. from our gift of episode a uh, gift of movie episode where he recommended he not only emphatically recommended this film but basically talked about it as life transforming
0: that's right a red charzan uh vfx editor to the stars, is currently working at sekelia pictures um yeah. So, uh, by the way, I did see John Wick. Oh, you did? We're doing that next week. I don't want to talk about it, but I, I, it's been an interesting sort of uh, dichotomy mm-hmm. first watching Long Day's Journey into Tonight and then John Wick. Oh, it, wow. It, you did them both. Yeah. Yeah. In the same night? Uh, no. <laughs> that would have no. been one hell of a night. Yeah.
1: Uh, I want to, re- if I can, I just, I, because I, I feel like we're going to do a non spoilery episode about I mean there's not a lot to spoil with this You movie. can
0: discuss this film without God. spoiling it and any time where we discuss a spoiler I will say it it it, it would be like a quick like yeah, it's not something that we will harp on, and therefore, like if we're about to say like okay, one thing here, you could probably fast forward like two minutes. Well, and also, it would be I,
1: don't, okay. I don't think the, the plot mechanics aren't that important. So if you're listening in and you haven't seen Long Day's Journey into Night, um, uh, please stick along, uh, stick around, even if you haven't, uh, even if you haven't been able to see it. I know it's hard to get to. Uh, the second thing is if you can get to a screening of Long Day's Journey into Night, you should, especially if you can get to see it in 3D, which it is in 3D. Um, I just want, I mean, if I can, I'm just going to recap uh, Ridd's email, uh, Ridd voicemail. I'll just read it out uh, here. Um, but but basically, he describes it as one of the best movies made in the last year, and frankly, one of the most magical pieces of cinema he's seen in a long time. Um, so that is what we're in for today. Uh, before we get to that, I want to read uh, obviously our emails. We and, have a
0: bunch uh, of stuff. Uh, emails and tweets, and a negative
1: review, which um, I'm gonna I'm
0: that's that's gonna be
1: interesting. It's gonna be fun. Okay.
0: You wanna go first? Yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. So, Baby Dread, what up, Baby Dread? <laughs> uh, tweeted at us. CJ completely read my mind on how I didn't enjoy this movie. <laughs> (laughs) Even down to the referencing slash recommending Smashed as an example of the subject matter being tackled much better. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, back in the day, I mean, Colossal, how long ago was that review? It actually wasn't that long. It was like the year before last. That's, That's a long time. That's like, that's in our time period. That's like... I don't know, like 60 movies ago? I suppose so. Yeah.
1: I, 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 but uh, the f- the funny thing there was that uh, I kind of tweeted back to Baby Drid, uh mentioning that he might not enjoy our top 10 of the year that year because Colossal appeared on it. Uh, it's true. Uh, it's on my true. List. I, I, uh, although I do remember CJ Johnson, a uh, friend of the show from Australia, who was on that episode and has been on a couple other episodes as well. I think he was on our mother episode. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Hated this yeah, movie. Yeah, I know uh, we
0: didn't, uh, but you but, know, yeah, uh,
1: uh, you know what? I can I can entirely see that point of view. I loved it. Uh, I smashed. I think is an interesting example um, because Smashed is basically a film about alcoholism without kaiju. Um, so,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which just makes it as we've different. shown, kaiju make everything better. <laughs> so, um,
1: so, an entirely different proposition.
0: I mean, look, there. Hopefully, kaiju is going to make the actual Godzilla franchise at this point better. <laughs>
1: I mean, God, isn't Godzilla, Godzilla is kaiju, Yes, right? but
0: or. the last film, uh, I mean, it did technically, yeah, but it, it had, had a Mothra it had, in it, didn't it? No, it, it didn't. Uh, it just had nameless monsters. Uh, uh, wasn't it a Mothra? No, Mothra's in this one. I'm, I'm psyched for Mothra oh, what's this the one? big flying, like, mosquito type thing? The Well, it's a moth, uh, right, but that's right. Mothra, which is in this current one. But wasn't that in
1: the one no, with they No, the, were, they were nameless
0: insectoid uh, kaiju.
1: Did they even call? No, because Godzi- they weren't.
0: They they called Godzilla Godzilla, but they didn't call those monsters anything because they just made them up for the movie. Oh, okay. yeah.
1: I I I'm guessing canon is important to you on this
0: one. I mean, I like <laughs> the look. If if you're not signing on to Godzilla for the actual named monsters, then what the hell are you doing?
1: Well, in um, uh, I'm trying to think. In the in the case of like, in in the Superman film, for example, they don't say Superman, in the very first one. Sure I mean I'm just saying It doesn't matter If they don't name it It's
0: still there yeah, no, I don't know. I just, I, I'm saying if you're going to make a Godzilla movie, make a Godzilla movie. Don't, don't be like, and now these nameless monsters. I would rather the 2000 uh, Matthew Broderick yeah, film. Yeah, the Roland Emmerich one, over, which gave us that great Puff Daddy song. Yeah, yeah. over, over the last Godzilla movie, even wow. though the last 15 minutes of that Godzilla movie were pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: Well, we, we, <laughs> we jumped straight from Colossal to Godzilla. <laughs> um, I love also that uh, Baby Dread has basically been doing uh, a deep dive in our back catalog. And yeah. He, uh, He's tweeting at, me uh, or at us a lot with uh, whenever he hears the thing, and I I love that to be honest with you. Thank you, Baby Dread. Uh, uh, so following on, there's another one from Baby Dread. Mandy. I honestly believe you could skip the first hour of the movie and have a
0: more engaging
1: time. Action would be picking up, and it would challenge a viewer to piece together the story. Thoughts on this?
0: Sure. I mean, I I the, although the cult scene when he's like dancing around and stuff, and it's all trippy, like that was the first time in the movie where I was like. Oh, something interesting's happened. If we're talking about from there on, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, I didn't.
1: You know what? I actually, I, I at the beginning, I kind of disagreed uh, with Baby Drew, but I kind of, I see his uh, point, which is that I think that for me, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been a while since I saw Mandy. My feeling was the second half was less interesting than the the uh, first half.
0: And because it turns into a Dark Souls game, yeah. like I mean, without all the cool lore, it's just yeah. Nicholas Cage and fighting monsters, for lack of a better term. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I think maybe the way Baby Drew is talking about it might make it, might make that second half more interesting because it's <sighs> intercutting it with the first half. I don't know. It's a, it's a nice hypothetical uh, exercise. I, I kind of on the fence on this one. I, I believe maybe it points to the thing that I, I kind of you know felt strongly about that film, which is that it. Uh, once it became Vengeance Dark Souls, I was less interested in it. Though yeah. it is gorgeous. That movie
0: is it's, beautiful. It's a, to it's look a at. real. Pretty piece of film. Yep. Uh, moving on, Jonathan the Blade says, uh, The conversation that we had about uh, anthology-style films reminded him that it is time to revisit Hollywood Shuffle.
1: Which is a fantastic anthology film by Robert Townsend, uh, wh- a film that I hadn't actually even thought about for a long time. Um, I love the fact as well, uh, Hollywood Shuffle is basically that kind of uh, uh, anthology film about... Um, black actors in Hollywood trying to be, you know, like trying to get great roles. And there's, there's so many great sketches in it. And I love the fact that Robert Townsend also kind of like followed up and actually committed to the idea by making one of the first, uh, black superhero films, Meteor Man. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, a, a fun, uh, a fun trip down memory lane. Uh, Jake L. Broke, uh, hobo Spider Man, <laughs> <laughs> aka The Blade, also says, Meteor Man is also a winner by, by, uh, by virtue of having Big Daddy Kane in it. Yes. <laughs> Makes me want to dive into all two of the movies in his filmography. Um, that also the whole thing. Uh, Robert Townsend, Big Daddy Kane, anthology films, Hollywood. It all it all culminates in one of my favorite uh, Public Enemy songs, "Burn Hollywood, Burn," which I think we played. We played yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we played it on this. Uh, so I loved. Uh, uh, thank you for reminding us of that film, "The Blade." That was also in reference to uh, our gift of movies episode, in which you gave me an anthology film, "UHF" by one Weird Al Yankovic.
0: Let me be your hog. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> spatula. Hey, if you buy 10 spatulas, you'll get the 11th for just a penny. Yeah, there you go. Um, moving on. Uh so uh we got a bit of, you know how we always on iTunes and please rate us on iTunes five stars being the best because we, you know, we'll take all the stars you can give. The, uh we got a person whom only could give us three stars. Ooh. Um and we're going to read out uh it's it's a little bit it's coming it's coming at us uh, a little okay. bit. Okay, well, let's read it. Out. Uh here we go. So this is from haina uh 19 that for whatever it is in my brain is went. Hey now, oh, part like, of
1: me, part of me wonders that this might be a New Zealander because uh, hey, now nah, is kind of a,
0: a New Zealand colloquialism. Oh well, I mean, or
1: actually, it's yeah, nah, is a no, Z- Maybe I don't.
0: Know. I don't know. Here we go. So they say this. Just listened to the burning episode and thought the discussion of it was very well done by the two hosts. Except, oh yeah, thanks! <laughs> except the part on the portrayal of the main female character. I agreed more with Matt and thought Shahir was trying to explain it away. My main problem was more with Shahir using Me Too and Black Lives Matter as references as we wanted to see better representation on film when neither of these movements have anything to do with their representation on film slash media. Oscar So White would have made more sense, but it still wouldn't support his reasoning of trying to downplay its importance. Me Too is about sexual assault and abuse, which did get co-opted by Hollywood, but because of what was happening behind the screen and not in front. And then Black Lives Matter is about police brutality against black people. Please don't conflate these things because it just comes off as you aren't actually invested in either of these movements or better representation in media, and maybe you aren't.
1: Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts on this before I kind of uh, uh, talk about what I what we were talking about?
0: I don't think. I remember when I, I remember this moment in the review when you brought this stuff up mm-hmm. and I remember thinking in my head that it, to be honest, wasn't the the clearest analogy for what I knew you were trying to say, mm-hmm. Um but never in a million years. And again, I mean, this this could also come from someone who has only listened to our burning episode, yeah, yeah, and 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 probably it might not know uh, having the breath of of God two hundred and something episodes of like where we stand on a lot of things. Um, so I can see the possibility of being misconstrued. And obviously, it's good for people to speak out when they disagree with us on a thing. I think the disagreement here is a little bit. Um, I don't know what the word is, misplaced or, or misinformed with sort of what I feel your opinions on these things are. Although I can see how one episode and one statement and us moving past it very quickly could come off as disingenuous.
1: Right. Um, so uh, first off, if if in any way, um, whatever I said, uh, no, I you know, what I said kind of comes across as not being invested in Black Lives Matter or Me Too as individual movements. Uh, I apologize for that. But that's not uh, that's not the case. And I think that many episodes will kind of bear that, you know, listening yeah. to more episodes will kind of bear that out. Um, also, that's that's not. I also kind of disagree. I'm going to borrow a line from Quentin Tarantino here, which is, I, di- I disagree with the hypothesis here, uh, which is that um, the point that I was making there is that we live in a culture which is um, refl- in cinema in particular reflects upon uh, popular social movements. There's a lot of um, um, a lot of writing about how social movements get reflected in cinema, and I think it's impossible to uh, undersell the idea that Me Too and Black Lives Matter, for example um, exist, uh, re- are reflected in popular culture like movies. Um, there is a great talk at the Brookings Institute about, um, Black Lives Matter and the representation, uh, and, and how Black Lives Matter is an extension of the need for representation in cinema. Um, there's a fantastic, um, uh, Tribeca Film has had a recent, uh, uh, a playlist of Black Lives Matter on film. Um, uh, as a discussion on how Black Lives Matter is a reflection of of uh, popular sentiment in film. And uh, and me too. And I, and I found a couple of interesting articles about this. My point here is that um, I don't withdraw my statement, uh, which I think at the time was basically talking about... I think we were talking about... Um,
0: uh, we were talking about the tropiness of... Of, 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 the, of the female character
1: yeah. not really having Agent, as, as much agency yeah. as we think. And I, and I think my point there was that we do live in a world now where... Um, these popular social movements are kind of impacting the way we view films mm-hmm. uh, and and but, and my point there is I don't necessarily think entirely that um that it has to be that way because I don't think films have to reflect the needs of a social movement. um, you know they they can and and you know, if you're an ethical filmmaker they they possibly should, but I don't think films, like for example, uh you know an example of this would be... Uh, the way in which Quentin Tarantino uses the in-words in, words in sure. films, you know, is is
0: entirely representative of the way we kind of view that topic now. And I think my point behind even what we were talking about in Burning is I I agree. I don't think films have to do anything. Yeah. What I was saying, sort of, what bothered me about the the sort of female representation, and and, you, mm-hmm. and it does come from the entirety of how society, at least uh, mm-hmm. current American yeah. <laughs> coastal society, is is moving. Yeah. Um. I I, I felt like. This felt like the 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 treatment of that character felt old and dismissive and just sort of like, uh like yeah. I'm over that like yeah. I, I' not that I I'm just saying this from a personal statement like yeah. I was just like, and obviously the these cultural movements, all of a, a ton of them have have influenced how film is being made and i and I personally think from a moral uh uh standpoint or soapbox mm-hmm. that yes, it should and yeah. if you are an ethical person and you want to make something that you feel like will positively affect society. Yeah, all of these things should be thought about yeah. and represented when appropriate. Uh I think this I think burning in particular didn't care about uh sort of con- connecting any of these things which is the filmmaker's prerogative. Yeah. It just didn't i i found it less effective for yeah. me beca- yeah. because because of that.
1: And I don't disagree with what you said. I think you just kind of reiterated the point that I made out on that episode which mm. is that, you know, films can reflect social movements. Um and I think Haina's point was that me too and Black Lives Matter aren't about representation in Hollywood, so therefore using it like using it there it conflates the terms. And I I I disagree with that hypothesis. Um, there's a couple of books I want to point to. There's a book which I uh, a collection of essays which I read last year called We We Gonna Be Alright by Jif Chang, which is a collection of essays about the intersection between social movements and culture, particularly Black Lives Matter. Uh, if you read that essay, which I uh, I read around the time we went and saw a documentary uh, called For Akeem mm-hmm. uh, by a friend of mine, Landon uh, Van and Jeremy Levine. Uh, which basically is a documentary about the the reflection of Black Lives Matter in an individual life, uh, and looking at that movement. And I think I think it's a really powerful um, movement as well.
0: Here's what yeah. I think I think uh, might be getting a little bit crossed across all of this stuff too. Mm-hmm. Neither of the uh, movements uh, mm-hmm. which uh, Haina brought up, um, you know, Me Too or Black Lives Matter, are intrinsically about. Films or, or or representation, sort of in films, those are exactly sort of what they've brought up. But that doesn't mean that it's not all connected. Yeah, like yeah. It, it, they they definitely did not. Uh, any social movement d- isn't uh, going to be about or or connected instantly with film until film sees the movements and is like, oh yes, uh, correct, mm-hmm. and moves in that direction. Well, and this is, I think this is kind of a broader topic
1: that we've always talked about on the podcast, which is that film is a reflection of uh, yes. society. Um, and then finally I found a really interesting article called The Moral Responsibility of Cinema: The Politics of Representation and Expectation by Tatwai Lee which was in the and I just want to read this uh, paragraph on it because I think it kind of uh, uh, talks about the way we're kind of approaching this topic. Again, if if this doesn't kind of answer my explanation, then I apologize for that, but I don't the only thing I want to say there is I don't think my explanation was flippant. Um, but uh, in uh, Tut Wiley's article says When John Chu's Crazy Rich Asians uh, Was released it brought about with the The full bided force of twenty year, 25 years Of absent Asian American representation In media. Since then the movie has Become emblematic of a resurgence in racial Consciousness in cinema. It rides the massive Ways of publicity in Hollywood's Injustices and the increasing awareness of the Industry's social justice obligations That has emerged in recent years including Through movies Get Out, Black Panther And the scandals and solidarity of the Me Too movement. Representation is a dialectic, a shared project. It is both a process and goal, a two-way exchange between creatives and their audience. To be responsible consumers of medias is not to be passive in consuming it. It is to be charitable when we can and harsh when we have to be. So that is, I think, a reflect, you know, like when you were talking about how uh, Burning didn't quite, you know, measure up to what you felt was important in the, as a reflection of cinema today. I think that is that a re- representation of where we are as a culture today and mm-hmm. what we're looking for in cinema. So yeah. that's that's the way I was using the term Uh, If it didn't work for you, I apologize.
0: Fair, um, and actually, this just sort of brings up like uh, when I, I uh, yeah I was gonna say this, this I I really appreciated yeah. this, but
1: it would have been I I think would have been better as an email because then we could have had a
0: conversation about it. Well, we did have a conversation about but it. look directly. Yes, I mean here's I mean and, and actually honestly onlymoviepodcast at gmail Uh, I don't know if uh Heyna is going to be listening <laughs> again, but if so, uh, please continue the conversation with us across email because I would be interested to see if. If the discussion we just had uh, uh, helps at all in this regard, or anybody else out there who thinks we're doing, we're, we're saying the right things or the wrong things by any means, uh, come no, and, and, and chat with us. And I, uh,
1: I fully, really appreciate uh, that they took the time to write this and and to call me out on something, um, yeah. which we could explain. And you know, I'm very, very happy to have that discussion. And so moving on to one final email, 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 email wow. uh, from Mihai from Romania, who has written to us before. It's really nice to hear back from you, Mihai. Uh, um, I just discovered that this podcast is also great for doing physical exercise and for running. So I, <laughs> Wait, I, what? What? <laughs> I enjoy the idea That's that we're great. in your ears while you're while you're sweating away, uh, but today my questions are about a movie that just got released on Netflix, and I'm talking about *The Wandering Earth*. Oh I'm yeah! I'm curious if any of you have watched it. What do you think about it? I have
0: not. I have watched. not yet, but I do. It's uh, it's on the short list.
1: Uh, yes, unfortunately, uh, there's an interesting thing, which is that *The Wandering Earth*, which is the I think the third largest movie in release this year, the mm-hmm. second largest in Chinese cinema, uh, with, a, uh, with an overall box office, office haul of around $700 million, uh, got quietly released on Netflix without much fanfare or uh, notification. It wasn't even in their list of upcoming films.
0: Netflix is weird. Mm-hmm. And, and Okay, this is a bigger sort of thing, and I don't want to go too off the rails, yeah. but if Netflix is going to survive this Disney Plus shit, they got to start coming at us in different ways I mean, and and one thing to be perfectly honest that they should do is invest i think more uh at not even advertising dollars sure but like whatever they start showing us things that are off the beaten path, that are awesome for off the beat, off our yeah beaten yeah. Path. I was gonna
1: say this: the seven hundred million dollars is not off anyone's beaten path.
0: No, but like, <laughs> but like, so I mean, you could take a seven hundred uh, million dollar film that they're kind of burying, or you could take Burning, which th- was critically acclaimed, and they're burying. Like, I was just like, remember, I had to search and I had to type the whole word before yeah. it even remotely came up. So like. I don't know, man. Th- they got to work on their. Well, I just, th- I
1: think there's a, uh, to, to be fair, um, one, I haven't heard very good. Great reviews of the film, The Wandering Earth. So I'm curious about that. Although Mihai kind of writes in uh, and says, I actually found the film very entertaining and quite hope-inducing. I don't have a long history with Chinese movies, but I got to say I was pleasantly surprised. The movie feels like a big mashup between genres, and somehow it holds up. I was quite impressed by the cinematography, the special effects, and the CGI, especially for the budget and for something I found interesting. But maybe I'm wrong. uh, And this is, uh, I think, Mihai's uh, greater point, which I think we should talk about as well. Um, uh, Maybe I'm wrong on this one but every person that's foreign to the Chinese people speaks in their own language, while in most American movies, any person that's foreign to American audiences uh, speak in English with an accent. Mm. Uh, So maybe I'm wrong in this one, but they usually don't bother subtitling many languages in American movies. Uh, I think that's an interesting uh, uh, conversation point. My uh, former professor, Aaron Mannion Park, who's been on the show, uh, has written an interesting article about uh, the nature of subtitling and the sort of objective bias that subtitling has. Uh, That might be paraphrasing his article a a little bit in in the wrong direction but it's kind of in that ballpark um i think that's fascinating you know, the film that actually comes up in mind uh, that i remember that uh with regards to this discussion that Mihai may want to watch is uh, steven Soderbergh's film contagion Oh, uh, because and and I remember r- like noting this very very hard when it happened, because Contagion is this sort of international travel, uh, international movie about the spread of a disease. Yes, right, like this global epidemic. But every time they cut to uh, a, a character that was non non American, non English speaking, the film would just kind of go silent and become a montage. Um, and I was like very curious about how that played out mm. in the film because it was very you know for a film that was ostensibly about. This global pandemic. It was very Euro focused, <laughs> and it was. I mean, it, not not to the detriment of the film. I still think it's a very fine film, but I, it was just sort of something I noted about it. Um, and I think Mihai's point might be might be accurate as well. I haven't uh, I haven't seen The Wandering Earth, so I can't quite uh, comment on that uh, in regards to The Wandering Earth. But I do want to see it. And we were, it was on our docket for a little while. Indeed. Um, yeah. All so, right. But but uh, as for another Chinese film that made it kind of a splash at the box office in a really interesting way. Uh we are going to be talking about guns Long Days Journey in Tonight. And can I explain can I do you know the story about the uh, the box office for No. Oh okay. Tell away. So, uh Long Days Journey in Tonight won uh I believe a couple of Golden Bears at the Berlin Film Festival. It was nominated for awards at the Cannes Film Festival. It was very critically re- uh acclaimed when it was released. Bygone's uh previous film Kali uh Kali Lee Blues. I'm Pronouncing Kylie wrong, um, uh, uh, was again critically acclaimed. He's a young, uh, you know, young prodig- prodigical film you, you know, filmmaker. Like um, uh, but the film was aggressively marketed in China as the perfect date movie uh, to bring in the New Year. Wait,
0: this one was?
1: This one was Long Day's Journey Into Night. Very aggressively marketed that way, and in fact, it was an incredible. How? It was an incredibly successful marketing campaign because the film uh, then had. One of the biggest pre-release uh, ticket sales in China, in, including beating out Avengers. Um, did and- they?
0: Did they literally? shining this like I, yeah, you know i'm, like... I'm not
1: I, there was a trailer and there was a marketing uh campaign that basically suggested that this is a the uh and, and you know and obviously there's a lot of cultural pride when you hear of a film that does so well internationally that's been critically acclaimed and and you know and then it was sold as like the way it was sold to the chinese audiences uh, audiences <laughs> was that it was this amazing wonderful date romantic movie
0: <laughs> i it <guess>, like <laughs> if it was just in 3d the long day <laughs> Like that, it's like, what? And,
1: um, and uh, it, it had uh, yeah, there's incredible uh, pre release ticket sales. I think it, it racked up something like 35 million dollars, which and, is which is bananas for an art house independent film. And then what happened? And then that momentum quickly died away <laughs> as film goes were left confused and angered by the nac- lack of narrative clarity and abuse storytelling. Um, I think uh, the hashtag in China. Uh, was what nobody could understand what Long Day's Journey Tonight was to was about. Yeah. Uh, and so it it had this incredible backlash uh, after that. It, it made it made it you know again for for a, an independent uh, art house movie. Uh, it made a significant
0: amount of money. Well, yeah, I mean it did all those pre ticket sales. Has there been yet? Uh, which is the now the 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 goings on of the internet continuously. Has there yet been a backlash to the backlash? Um, that seems to be a running trend these days, especially in gaming circles. When someone is, when a group is angry about a thing, and then eventually, about a month later, then people get angry at the people that were angry at the thing.
1: Yeah, I, I guess the the dust hasn't settled on that yet. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. how. Well, hopefully we can contribute to that conversation because in many cases, our title might be erroneous, but this might be one of those cases where uh, we, um, as far as I can tell, are uh, one of the few
0: podcasts that are talking about this. We're, the only, we're the only, it's in the title. <laughs> we, I don't know what your weird apologist <laughs> multiverse nonsense you're speaking. Um, um, so tell us what uh, Long Day's Journey Into Night is about. A man went back to Guijo, found the tracks of a mysterious woman. He recalls the summer he spent with her twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, um, you know, uh, whatever IMDb is. At that this point. that is,
0: um, that is technically what happens in the movie. I think. Could I read you Justin Chang's sure.
1: uh, synopsis from his review for the Los Angeles Times? And he loves this film. Um, uh, an ex-casino manager named Lu Hongwai, played by Huang Zhu, has returned home after his father's death to Kylie City in China's, in China's subtropical Gu- was it Guizhou. Uh, Guizhou. Guizhou province? Oh, Guizhou, Guizhou. Guizhou province. Uh, the city also provided the setting of Bai's beguiling 2015 debut feature, Kylie Blues. Um, as Lou returns to his old stomping grounds, a restaurant run by a stepmother, a tunnel glips through a melancholy sheet of rain, a flooded old building with gorgeous undulating light patterns on the wall, his every forward step draws him backwards, inexorably into the past.
0: Yeah, <laughs> again... I- to be honest, what I'm shown in the film, and not what I have to sort of interpret myself, I feel the IMDb one is just as accurate. <laughs> but, well, I just I, I, I <laughs> that's prefer- more flowery, I and, pre- and, and
1: and I don't even think it's more flowery. I think it's more accurate. Um, I think I think it's just it's a nicer read. Oh yeah, yeah. oh a hundred
0: percent. Like I enjoyed hearing that more.
1: Okay, so. um... Uh, Matt your first impressions of Long Day's Journey uh, tonight this is going to be a long
0: conversation I believe oh god is it yeah um, just I think, from the title alone. I, th- <laughs> I think Um, first things first big shout out to the John Carpenter uh, <laughs> felt feeling very referential in the theme of this film the, 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 mm. The, mm. the instantly when the theme of this movie which happens many many times which is a beautiful theme I was like this is is re- so reminiscent of <laughs> Escape
1: from New York. Whoa, that is that is not a reference I would have ever considered. But
0: like, well. I heard it and I was like, where have I heard this before? And then if you listen, I actually listened to them both before <laughs> the podcast and I was like, oh yeah, I'm not saying one was, I think this is a happy accident, yeah. uh, but I was just like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, so that was my first thing. It instantly got me in a good mood. Um, <laughs> So uh, overall, this film is um, was overall difficult for me to get on board with entirely. Okay. Um, There are aspects of it which I will discuss which I think are absolutely brilliant, Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't think they excuse some of my personal issues that I took with uh, how the story was told to me. I think some stuff that I would like to talk about in the beginning was first and foremost how absolutely gorgeous every frame of this movie is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything from watching a glass rumble off a table by a train going by for a really long time to um, watching him wade through that beautiful uh, flooded basement for a long period of time uh to him following a woman in his car down a dark tunnel for a long period of time there's a lot of long shots in this film and mm. not i'm not even talking about the the fantastical one that makes up sort of the last third of the film yeah um it it is it's literally gorgeous it's there's so much very rarely will I find it a film where I'm like, oh yeah, this feels like a painting. Like light is used as a pigment. If, if I want to get real hoity toity about how the, the, the look of this movie made me feel. Right. Uh, I was definitely engrossed in how, uh, visually stunning it was also, uh, sort of marrying that the sound design itself was really wonderful. I saw it at the Lincoln center theaters. Um, Which I think is one of the only two places in New York you can see it. Yeah. Um, And uh, it's their sound system was good. uh, And, you know, that's not like a crazy, crazy, crazy one, but it's very, like, technically sound and it felt very balanced. And I was like, oh, like, I felt all of the places that we went in the film, I felt like I was actually there, which is also a rarity. Um, I do feel like the acting itself also sort of top notch. uh, But here is where I sort of devolve and this and this might be my own personal opinions in storytelling and films that I've gotten to at this point in my 37 years on the planet. Uh, I think I'm over noir. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you mean like um, so the
1: the sort of the tenant of the the ma- oh the tenant of discovery in the in the city si- against the backdrop of the city.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, and like so, and I, 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 a lot of the stuff that I didn't like in this movie, not all of it. Uh, harkened back to some problems I have with movies like Drive. Mm-hmm. And everything is slow and lilting and and sort of like this, it, not only that, but like the internal struggles of one man's mind, which is basically about his obsession with a woman, mm-hmm. which in itself is not, uh, I just don't care.
1: Yeah, that's like, the, that's the classic tenor and a I know. Are, yeah. And
0: I think I just don't, care anymore and it's hard for me to get latched on even with all of the beauty sort of going on around this um and then you add to the fact that the way this movie is done even before we get again which i do want to spend a long time talking about the last third of the film but the even before we get to that it is kind of a stream of consciousness like scene editing style Mm -hmm. uh it made it very difficult for me to follow yeah I, I loved uh, the that the LA, LA Times yeah but the thing you just read because like it actually put together some pieces that the movie I felt like did not maybe I uh wasn't uh, quick enough on the up- to uptake to to catch the things but uh it 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 didn't get that across I was like oh yeah that sort of makes sense until it sort of doesn't mm-hmm. uh, there's like the clues that lead Liu around the city. Didn't always add up, in my opinion, and maybe you can clarify some stuff for me. Because again, I kind of, I basically got lost, and I think that lost stems from I didn't care about the the crux of the, the style of the story that was being told. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, as far as the three D is concerned, uh, this is a minor spoiler, but there's you're not supposed to wear the three D glasses the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there's a part near the end of eh, midpoint or sort of uh, two thirds through where the character has to go kill some time and he goes to a 3d movie and that's when you put on the glasses um the the shots, and we'll get to that whole sequence itself is spectacular. Three D added zero to it.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Cause I um uh, when I went to see it, um the three D projector wasn't working. Ah. so I didn't get to see it in three D. Ah. Um and I was curious I was curious what three D would do to her, but I'm cur- I'm I'm interested to hear what you Well,
0: thought. because so yeah, uh, so interestingly enough, and, and and maybe I I wanna give this film the benefit of the doubt because I know that this shot is incredibly difficult to pull off. Mm-hmm. Um the the three D itself felt just like any other 3D film i'd ever seen there was nothing sort of special about it um i will say that every once in a while and maybe only like five times throughout this 50 something minute sequence uh the the 3D seemed to go out a little bit out of sync mm-hmm. and especially on subtitles you'd kind of see the the it's not interlacing it's whatever that the the interocular thank split thank you yeah interocular split um And at first I was like, oh, is this doing this on purpose? Mm -hmm. I was like, is this part of the narrative like something's falling apart? Uh, It wasn't. Um, But then the entire time, it didn't make me feel more engrossed in it. It didn't make me feel any different. It felt like, how do I put it? It felt like someone doing a trick that the first time you see the trick is incredibly powerful. But I've seen the trick a hundred times and I know how the trick works. What's what's the trick? 3D. Okay. Um, Just 3D in general. Yeah, because like I, the, the transition between 2D and 3D, it especially in a pseudo-narrative perspective, I mean, I've talked a lot about Tron Legacy, how I feel like that really worked. Mm-hmm. Um, this, there was honestly, you, the, the goal was, because it's going to show you the sort of dreamlike-esque sort of recap of the entire story, that... Uh, the 3D is going to make it feel different and/or more immersive, or I, I, you know, I'll even lose more immersive. Just it's supposed to feel different from the rest of the film, mm-hmm. and just like what 3D does consistently is, after the first two or three minutes, you forget that it's 3D, and there's it, it literally didn't add anything to it other than main character put on 3D glasses. Guess I'll put on 3D glasses, and we went with it. Um, that is not to say, and I wa- I'll, I'll sort of save it because I've been yammering on for a bit, the sequence itself, despite 3D not being effective for me, holy shit! So good.
1: So I, I think you haven't quite uh, explained what the sequence is. So at the at the, the last third of the movie, after he puts on the 3D glasses, yeah. is a 59-minute single 59 minute single take <sighs> uh, through a, a, a little province uh, in Kylie uh, where our main character, Lou, kind of... Um, Intersects with both time, memory, and uh, even the. Pre- we're, we're not entirely sure in which sort of s- sphere of consciousness he's entirely in,
0: but I, it's a single take through that through that spectrum, and like a single take that probably covers a quarter mile of stuff. Yeah. Um, it was that was uh a moving experience for me that was uh it it honestly turned my frown upside down for the entire like for as much as I didn't care about the characters and their journey up to that point what really got me and got me to overall I feel like I actually like I think this film is very worthwhile uh was taking all of the the hints and the sort of like I would say uh Purposely obtuse storytelling from the first two-thirds of the film and then doing an amazing – basically the closest thing I've ever seen to what I've experienced dreams to be mm-hmm. uh, and and basically do what dreams do and take your day or whatever you're thinking about or whatever sort of uh, you know infested your mind over the past couple of days and mashes it all together in a thing that is incredibly fluid and um, – and, and has touch points on what are the uh, sort of both the important aspects of it and minimal, like like stupid details that don't mean a thing, or maybe they do. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it got me so invested. It got me thinking about the f- the first two thirds way more than they ever did. Right. And by the end of it, I was like, this is like a. a, a never before have I been turned around so intensely on my opinion of a film. Like, I feel like the first two thirds for me personally, and I don't want to take anything away from anybody who enjoys it, but was like doing a ton of homework. And then the last, that last one shot thing was like, that catharsis you get after you learn something uh, and you've put in the effort and then you get to like experience uh, you you get to use something that you've learned or gathered in a incredibly instru- uh, constructive and emotionally resonant way um it was moving and it was amazing and uh i thoroughly uh i thoroughly thought that it was the absolute not only saving grace but like the the keystone to the bridge that this movie is, and uh, I absolutely loved it.
1: Okay, so. For me, uh, there's an interesting... I think there's a lot of interesting conversations around what this film is and the style of film this is. Um, I shared an article with you, and I think I'll share it on our Twitter handle as well, about uh, a sort of a a video essay about slow cinema uh, and this sort of slow cinema movement. Um, But I think, you know, uh, obviously what we're talking about is not in the spectrum of uh, sort of mainstream Hollywood fear, which is probably why that backlash in China uh, kind of happened. This is, uh, you know, sort of more in line with what... uh, um Boardwell and Thompson talked about in their book on the art film. Okay. Uh, and, you know, the art film kind of has this sort of more stream of consciousness approach. It's mm-hmm. sort of more of a uh, in fact, I can pull it up here. Uh, it is inten- the art film, as according to Thompson and Bordwell, uh, are is intended to be a serious artistic work, often experimental, and not designed for mass appeal, made primarily for aesthetic reasons rather than for commercial profit, and contains unconventional, or highly symbolic content. Um, uh, and and I think that that definition kind of holds absolutely true in this case. I think the the reason that definition also holds true in this case is the way in which um, the film in uh, Basically, works as you know, as you were discussing a reflection on dream theory. You know, like on how how do how do we view dreams and what do dreams mean for us? And um, in cinema, there is a long sort of history of like dream interpretation and how dreams kind of operate. To the you know, from the most didactic, which would be something like Inception, um, to the more sort of uh, surreal and fluid, which is kind of closer to how exp- how we experience dreams. To you know, like someone like David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, this is sort of more on the spectrum of the the sort of David Lynch esque uh, interpretation of dreams, which is that the film is filmed is filled with. Symbols and symbolism that may mean something or may not mean something and that gain new meaning by the way you interpret it
0: David Lynch is an interesting example because I've never felt like I get that like David Lynch's sort of dreamscapey type stuff to me is the exact has the exact same weight though different style than the inception dream type stuff because both of those are things where I look at them and I'm like oh I understand that this is supposed to be representational of dreams this film and this section is how I experience dreams. Yeah. So there's, there's, I, I understand there's sort of the interpretation. I don't think one is actually more accurate than the other for me, because this is the most accurate I've experienced.
1: And I think that would come down to different theories of dreaming. Right.
0: Or different, um, or people probably dream differently as well.
1: Probably. But you know, for example, one of the most famous works on dreaming that has kind of been debunked most of the time is, is Sigmund Freud's, yes. uh, uh, interpretation of dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a fascinating book and I think has informed so much of, of how filmmakers interpret dreams or how filmmakers represent dreams. Um, particularly people, uh, Alfred Hitchcock was kind of, uh, you know, like used that text uh, as, the, as sort of the main representation. And the idea that uh, Freud had was that dreams are uh, an expression of our repression. So dreams are, are 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 a place where we can uh, fully explore any repressed desires that we might have. That's on unbrand, and, and you know that's that's Freud's kind of theory, and it's often uh, it's it's not quite being debunked. It's still kind of held as a touchstone in in thinking about dreaming, but it's not quite um, the way we think about dreaming now. And I, and I think one of the the sort of more interesting theories. Uh, that I was reading about last night uh, is the activation synthesis synthesis model of dreaming uh, which was proposed by Alan Hobson and Robert McCleary in 1977 and their idea there was that basically dreaming is um, uh, 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 a sort of biochemical release mechanism at the at the end of day which fires off synaptic uh, connections in our brains in sort of almost random order but what's interesting there is that um, we then uh, our brain, goes to if it's as part of like our narrative cohesency to make connections and to like find meaning within those symbols essentially what freud was saying is that the symbols are what matters right. and what hobson and and, and Mcleary are saying is that how we interpret the symbols is what matters. The symbols themselves don't matter.
0: Legos got dumped on the floor Mm. and it's not important what each Lego piece is or represents. What's important is that there's Legos all over the floor. And if you leave them there, you're going to step on them. So you better build something and put it on your shelf. That, is again a very roundabout way of I think of what what I'm trying to <laughs> At say. At least it's, it's not a food analogy, Shahir. I tried I mean, something different.
1: Basically, like the way I would think about it is uh, Freud would say if you saw an apple in the dream, the apple is important because it represents six and you know the snow white mythology and yada yada yada. And what Hobson and McLaren would say is the apple doesn't matter how you know you will reinterpret the apple how it matters to you. Uh, th- sure. And I think Yeah, that, you build whatever you want out of the Legos. Yeah, exactly. And so I think for me, what was fascinating about watching this film um, because, and, I, and I'm curious about the 3D side of it, and I, I'm curious what the 3D side of it would have done, is that the, the single, uh, I, I actually think the structural integrity of this film is kind of in Sound and and kind of mind blowing because the first half of the film is 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 essentially introducing the symbols in a context that so that we can understand what they what they might mean when they pop up later on in the film. So we, uh, for example, we get uh, little moments like um, Lau is thinking about his friend Wildcat who has this sort of bird tattoo on his chest, and then he talks. Um, Lao sort of talks. Uh, Lau and and the woman that he is like looking for, um, played by Tay Wing. Um, is that have I said that incorrectly? I hope I haven't. I, I do this all the time. If you're listening in, <laughs> um, uh, no, it was Wei waiting, Yeah, um, who uh, I last saw in Last Caution, um, and she's wonderful in that. Um, but basically, uh, she talks about how she had an abortion and, and Lao is kind of upset by this idea. And he said, I would have taught, you know, I, I, I would have taught my son how to play ping pong. And then when we get into the dream sequence, the very first thing that happens is that he meets a young boy who, whom he plays ping pong with, who has this like ping pong paddle with a bird on it, which, uh, lets him take flight later. And you can see by the way, I'm sort of already talking about it is we get these symbols laid up up front, and then we get to experience them firsthand. Yeah. And what was really fascinating for me is that the long take—I um, st- realized suddenly what the power of editing is for me by watching this film, mm-hmm. which is that the in when when you have sort of uh, a, a sort of traditionally edited film, that kind of hard cut. Um, between sequences, in my brain allows me to com- compartmentalize moments and it allows me to kind of see moments as as unique and succinct and I can draw back from them very carefully because I know what the beginning and end of that
0: moment is. Yeah, you, but, the movie put the Legos together for you.
1: yeah. and then but but in in this film, which is this long 59 minute sequence, the moments all kind of started melding together where I was like starting to go, oh, you know, and I was starting to like, Draw back from moments that had happened earlier and reconnecting them in in sort of new and unique ways. And I think that was the power of that long take. It didn't feel like a gimmick. It actually kind of strengthened the way in which I started interpreting symbols. And the longer you kind of like went with it and the longer you kind of allowed yourself to absorb within the sort of parameters, well, the lack of. Parameters and where the camera could go, and mm-hmm. and how we would drift in and out of sequences. The the more I kind of you know, I guess fell under the spell of this movie uh, of being in that sort of hypnotic dream state. I still think the, the 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 sort of the mechanics of long takes, which is what I always kind of come back to as a filmmaker, are still ever present in this film. Sure. Oh
0: uh, yeah, most of the takes are long, even when it is cutting like a traditional film. But that. But... Oh,
1: what I mean there is like watching um, the sort of the the live theater of a long take which is you know like seeing when the 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 the, the example i'll bring up is when uh, they they get down to a pool table and the, you know, like Lau is holding down one of these punks who's basically attacked the woman who he thinks is, uh, you know, one Queer Win's character. Mm-hmm. And he holds a, he holds this guy down on the table and he says, I'll tell you what, I'll let you go if you can hit this shot. And I just thought, like, I was like feeling the tension of this actor who has to, like, nail this shot because if they don't, they've just thrown out a 30 minute take. Of everything leading up to it, and I, 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 love that sort of live theater of like long takes.
0: I wonder if the, I wonder if the pool. I was thinking this because it's hard not to think of the technical aspect when you're when you're dealing with stuff, especially when it's sort of esoteric in in uh, narrative nature, uh, or content. Mm-hmm. Like, is the was that pool shot digital?
1: I, I don't believe it was. I think, I think that the, it, 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 it could be. It didn't. Uh, it, didn't it, it didn't look it. It didn't look it to me. And I think it would ruin the. Uh, oh, one hundred percent. Ruin the integrity of what 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 they were trying to capture in there, which is not this sort of um, the perfection of a single take um, that you might see uh, in someone else who's kind of. Uh, showing off a long take, and uh, and the example I bring is me. Uh, I've used, I, I've done like a long take uh, music video. Where it was a four and a half minute long take music video, and and the point there was we were trying to show off yeah. our ability to coordinate this sequence. Um, and and you know, like uh, I don't think I can think of an example where there's a certain showing off, but I think there's this sort of what it actually does in the sequence is enhance the sort of dreaminess of 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 and and the sort of. Uh, the the fluidity between memory, present, past and interpretation.
0: The reason why I'm not using the G word, which I do throw around quite vigorously, which is gimmick. Yeah. This is not a gimmick. This is a, a and it's not showing off. It's Un, it's literally a narrative construct that that feeds what the entire film is actually trying to say, or or at least the emotions that the film is trying to get across to you. And it's and and it the the sheer act of it being a fifty nine minute shot, we can round up to an hour. Just to- <laughs> I, I like saying fifty nine minutes over and over and yeah. over because it's interesting. It didn't go for an hour. Like they could have made that an hour, yeah. but they didn't want to. They made it fifty nine minutes. Um, it is narratively important in your experience of what's happening in the story that it is shown to you in that way. Yeah. And and that is why it is the farthest thing from a gimmick and though it is incredibly technically insanely st- like you have to be an, a, a master in this craft to possibly do it, it never comes off as showing off. Yeah. Uh and, and that's n- th- those things are nuts to me. Like yeah. It's phenomenal.
1: Yeah, and I and and so to me that what I love there is the sort of uh, employing of like an incredibly technical craft for something as wildly interpretive as dreams and memory and 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 the reason I think I wanted to see it in three D because I I wanted to see. How uh, basically, essentially, an auteur kind of approach to 3D, and there's there's been a couple of examples. Gaspar Noé did uh, his film Love in 3D, which I haven't been able to see. It's on Netflix, uh, but you know, watch it your own caution. It's very explicit.
0: Can you uh, watch that 3D on Netflix? N- you
1: used to be able to. They've removed it now. Oh. Um, and and I would, you know, the thing is, I found the 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 duration, the the sort of the the sort of fluidity of that single take to be so immersive, and I was like. I really wonder. I feel like watching it. I go. I. I'm not a big fan of 3D, but I. I wonder how this would. Have, how that would have increased it because, the thing was is that, in the real world, it all. You know, in in the sort of two dimensional world, it all felt very real and grounded. And then I wondered about 3D kind of being able to like. Cast the shackles off it entirely, so it felt more fluid. And I and what I was excited about for that, again, not having seen it, is the idea that we were employing this sort of technology that's only primarily been used as as a gimmick, um, predominantly in most in most experiences of it, uh, to make it feel kind of unique and interesting, and doing something interpretive with three D that I don't think we had quite seen before.
0: I think it. I think for that level of um... Not excitement. I'll say interest that you feel. I feel like the technology and what three D does has yet to even with this film. As this would be the if ever there was a film where what you just described could possibly happen, I'd be like, yeah, this is probably the film where that would be. Yeah, and, uh, I, and I, I, it didn't. It right. really didn't like, and so like. But for do instance, you think wanna... that,
1: that that's a rejection of 3D as
0: a as a technological? I think it's like... a rejection of 3D in in not only as the technology of like seeing 3D things and and having that sort of different feeling of, of visual fidelity, mm. um, but also as a narrative device. Like for instance, I have said in the past, like Tron Legacy, like I really liked the fact that. In the real world, it's flat, and in the Tron world, it's 3D, and they cut back and forth a couple times. You never have to take off the glasses or whatever. So maybe that, maybe the actual action of it was a thing for me. But even then, like I would say, that is a gimmick in, in Tron Legacy. It's a gimmick that worked well, but it's still a gimmick. It's doing the narrative lifting of, like, oh, you're feeling like you're in this different universe. Great. Even with the 3D here, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm I want to make this very clear. uh, Maybe it wasn't calibrated right. Maybe uh, I'm you know something or other. But like I've experienced like deep 3D before. Yeah, and it's not an experience that has ever captivated me.
1: Yeah, I'm Um, I'm not a a fan of (laughs) 3D. Like
0: it doesn't. and, And here, there's enough going on where. I like that. That it didn't. It literally added nothing. I, I put on the glass because, like, what happens is he puts on the glasses and it fades out, and then you see the title of what you assume the film or the dream or whatever, which is also the movie, "The Long Days Journey into Night," uh, comes up, and it's uh, the what's the word again? Sorry, the three interoculars. Interocular. <laughs>
1: That I mean, well, interocular split is when they don't line up. Yeah. But so basically, you get an interocular distance created where the left yes. and the right eye are split. So
0: what that comes up, it's blurry as heck because you don't have your glasses on. You're like, oh, it's time to put the glasses on, and then you see the floating text in the thing, and then it goes in and it opens up with him pushing or uh, on a little uh, push cart thing in a yeah. mine shaft going down the tunnel. And even then, I was like, oh, is this supposed to feel immersive? Because he's in a tunnel and there's low light, but there's enough light. And, like, nothing felt – I literally, this entire sequence, never got a feeling of extra depth. And it was 3D. Like, I could tell you I was watching a 3D film. It did not affect me at all. I forgot about it in a minute.
1: Right. So this is the interesting thing with 3D, which is that I've always had sort of a a problem with it. And it came from the film Up uh the uh the disney pixar film which was uh uh, sold as a 3d movie and i was like so there's this contradiction in 3d which is that um i want it to feel immersive so i'm not noticing it but if i'm paying extra for 3d i want to be poked in the eye yeah you know like i want i want those moments where like they're explicitly saying to me hey check out this 3d thing because because there is this novelty factor of putting on these glasses there's this sort of extra uh, I guess this is probably the wrong usage, but there's this extra diegetic Mm -hmm. quality to like having to put on a glass, you know, a pair of glasses, and so you're sort of separated, and you want someone to like point that out to you, as opposed to feeling like. But but the reality is, fundamentally, in order for 3D to really work, you want to not know that you're watching a 3D film. You just want to feel like this extra dimension.
0: You know what? The only time that 3D has actually worked for me, and I hate to go back to these points is using the 3DS the Nintendo handheld system right uh it's because a it's glassesless 3D yeah um, and B, 3D films often, the way it's built out is like things sort of feel, like the 3D elements feel closer to you um, it's 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 not normally like inward 3D and I've, I've noticed that, I don't know if there's that's controllable or not at least I didn't until I was using the 3DS, the thing I love about the 3DS is when you're looking at it it feels like you are looking into a box and right. that's where the 3D is happening, where right. films tend to project it out and especially when done poorly and not to say that this film did it poorly, it just wasn't Effective because it 3D in my opinion isn't effective. When something moves forward in a 3D film and goes off the edge, it's already ahead of the screen, air quotes, and yeah. it feels like that breaks your immersion more. Where if you have uh, interior 3D and something does that, it goes off. You're just like, oh, it's just behind the edge of the box I'm looking at.
1: You know what I'd be really curious about is uh, the uh, the company Red. Uh, no reference to Red Charizard <laughs> as well, uh, but they make the Red cameras that this film. May have been shot on uh, is releasing a cell phone called the Red Hydrogen, yeah. which is supposed to have this sort of glassesless 3D. I've actually seen it, and I'm, I'm, you know, as much as I use and endorse the red product, I'm not a fan of, the, of these glasses. But I, and like one of the things they've been trying to do is get content for this new uh, glassesless 3D thing that they're kind of promoting. And this, I, I would love. If Red basically launched the hydrogen phone with a copy of Long Day's Journey into Night built into it <laughs> as like their example of, of it, because you could not get a, a a bigger divide. And I think this is an important divide between art house and technol and technology people to like to like try and explain a technology. Like when when you're tr- sort of trying to promote a technology, you go you you sort of go towards the the most you you. you Gravitate towards spectacle. You don't gravitate towards introspection.
0: You'd have to go through like an hour and a half of <laughs> yeah. of what I considered not uh, not a great time to get to the three D part of your phone.
1: So, uh, and in terms of interpretations, uh, you know, like impressions of the film, I think I actually uh, fundamentally agree with you, which is that the the sort of noirish man trying to find women in this film and the sort of mystery of woman um, thing in this movie, I actually did find yeah like a little tiresome. It's played out and well. Unlike Burning, I think the sort of... uh, And I'm referring to Burning because this was our criticism and discussion that we just had about Burning, is that this... Uh, the, we, we really don't get a sense of the dynamic between the two characters, but that's fundamentally what the film is about: it is about one person's memory yeah. uh, uh, of this
0: person, and that's a very noir esque thing. Yeah. Burning uh, is is a is a character piece of of sort of like what's going on with a couple different folks. If you yeah. really want to look the, at there's
1: it, a, there's a lot more narrative nuance. This, to...
0: like, it, the second I knew this, I figured out this was a noir thing, like ten minutes in, because I went into this blind. Yeah, uh, I was like, oh. Like I already understand this boring character. Mm-hmm. Like I don't care. Like I don't. L- Lau or yeah, or Lau. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he, he's a oh fairly- girl got away and the crime boss fucked you all? Like I don't care. Right. I don't care. I. I but the other thing is, I.
1: I think uh, this will lead into a broader point about uh, slow cinema, which I. Uh, you know, we we're sort of talking about as well. Is that I. I. I think the narrative sparseness of it, kind of plays in its favor somewhat because it is about you know like by the time you get to the end where it's sort of about immersing yourself in symbols and trying to find those symbols within your interpretation or trying to find what those symbols mean in your interpretation i think kind of lends itself I don't, I don't i wouldn't say that that is like particularly a narrative design choice but it is sort of something that's sort of interesting and unique to this and i think the other thing is is that there are completely transcendent moments within both the beginning and the end like for me the, the 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 most transcendent and beautiful thing was this idea that you know lao had been given this book which at the beginning of the book if you read this spell will allow the room to spin and at the when he's talking to, he finds a, a woman uh, who's in prison who might have known uh the woman uh, that he's he's trying to find and as they're talking about um how she met uh 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 we tang's character you know the room behind them starts to slowly spin and water fall cascades off uh off the ground as they're sort of uh off the walls as they're talking did you know did, you're just sort of looking at me blankly yeah, you know, during the prison thing yeah did you notice that no it's really subtle but it's beautiful it uh. basically the walls behind them spin you didn't notice the water dripping like starting to pour off the walls like a waterfall
0: no oh and like I noticed that the camera was doing a slow sort of like move. I didn't see it as spinning. Oh. I'm trying to Okay Or so, maybe it I mean, did. I and, again yeah. I, I was so I, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I was so bored. Okay, so, I was so bored. Okay, well let's talk. Well, let's come back to boredom
1: sure. in a in a second. Sorry. Let's come back to boredom because I think that's a really intre- uh, important topic in regards to slow cinema. But I, in terms of like trans-cinema, I thought that was just beautiful, and I was like, I was watching that going, oh, I'm 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 very interested in this filmmaker in terms of like what their ability to conjure images mm-hmm. that sort of detach themselves from reality in the middle of sort of a fairly narrative sequence. Um, the scene when you know, like in terms of like. The spinning of the world when he actually does shoot the gangster, mm-hmm. and like it's this overhead shot that spins upside down, and it's sort of like I understood what the shot was doing as soon as it was doing, it, but like the effect of like having that shot linger for so long upside down just kind of made me feel disorientated. Sure, yeah, and yeah. I thought it was really beautiful, and then the final shot uh, when you know like uh, Lao and uh, and We Weetang cari- Tang's character, I'm I, I'm saying that because I'm I don't want to butcher pronunciations even though I have, um, and they sit on this bed you know, that, that may have been their old, um, uh, may be in their old room, you know, they sort of describe, I couldn't get clothes out of the closet or anything like that. And then they sit down and the room spins as they kiss, which is that reflection of the, the spell that they have been talking about. And I love that moment. And I think this kind of comes back to read Sharazan's email because it was like, to me, it was like, oh, this is vertigo. We're doing, we're doing uh, Alfred Hitchcock's vertigo now. And this sort of like interpretation of dreams and, and, you know, like uh, they're they're even wearing red and green, which mm-hmm. is like this color dynamic from Vertigo, and the room is spinning, like when uh, Jimmy uh, Stewart's character makes out with uh, you know finally kisses the woman he's been searching for the whole time. And I was like, oh, I love that. That for me, there's this sort of melding of cinema and dreams and interpretation happening, all in this one thing. So I th- I thought that was very beautiful and transcendent and and delightful to watch. I don't I agree with you that that for me the The catharsis of these two people finally coming together has little uh, narrative impact for me, but I think you know the the other side of this is that it's with if the feeling does capture you, if that if if the sort of sim uh, the synthesis of symbols kind of captures you in that moment, what a beautiful moment that would be for you because it. You have to do all the work to get there, and that's sort of that's that's quite a beautiful thing. And it's, and its simplicity and elegance is kind of works in its favor there.
0: Yeah, uh, I will say though, and and I've always been a champion of this not being a problem. But I think the reason why it works a lot of ways and why it is a moment of sort of catharsis for the audience member watching it is the entirety of that dream sequence. If you if you strip away, uh, I no, I don't even want to strip away. It's almost like. Um, Obviously, we've talked about the technical aspect of it and how amazing it is and how it does an amazing job immersing you in that moment or that 59-minute moment. Um, but the the catharsis you feel and and the joy or the whatever, the, the the good emotions that you experience during that thing, it can be boiled down to, quote, I understood that reference. Like you're putting – all of these pieces that were – and on two levels, all the pieces that the first two-thirds of the film has brought together – Anything you've picked up or gleaned, you're feeling like it's a bit more closer to what your dream might be because you understand the references of the dream and it draws you into a very thing. The other thing, I mean, the thing you just said, which I didn't pick up on about the Vertigo stuff, if that is an homage to Vertigo, that's again another uh, dopamine shot in your brain for you understanding that reference. Yeah. So, like, and there's and there, I I don't want that to come off as me naysaying the experience of it. I'm huge in in. Th- that's one of my favorite things and the thing I enjoy very much throughout cinema and everything is when you understand a reference, when you know what's going on and you figured it out and you've done, in this case, I feel like done a lot of the legwork t- in order to be able to do that, it's an amazing feeling. It's, a, it's one of the tools in the filmmaker's toolbox that for me is one of the most effective things. Um, it's just again, where I falter is... Uh, and i I don't think the point of this film is, especially how it ends. Um, uh, I don't think the point of this thing is like, oh, will they ever find each other or get back together? i The movie itself lets you know very clearly that that's not the point. Yeah, um, but it is very hard for me to get on board with uh what I feel like are the side of one dimensional characters that we don't talk about often. normally, one dimensional character just means like a stock like thing like, or, or not, not something that's not deep. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, uh, so like, maybe like a shallow pool is a character, like, uh, you know, any blatant dumb action movie, uh, the villain in John Wick 1, just because that's on my brain, the mm-hmm. guy played by uh, Greyjoy there. Um, <laughs> the, like, it's a stock character. You don't give a shit, but you understand it's a shallow thing. Yeah. Uh, here. The one-dimensionalness goes a different direction where it's not they're not shallow characters by any means of the imagination. But the pool is not wide. The pool is sort of like a very like sort of contained one by one foot by one foot thing that is very deep. It's a it's a it's a beaker or a cylinder, <laughs> if you will., okay. um, and that is something that in this movie, is the right way to go in my bullshit humble opinion but the fact of the matter is and we can should get into the slow cinema stuff I think because um even though I could see I was supposed to be picking up clues I was picking up some of the mm-hmm. clues even though I could see that these characters while not while one while one dimensional still had uh, intrigue in them uh I didn't care and I was bored And uh, it got harder and harder for me to care about picking up the pieces to the puzzle until – I feel like in the dream I noticed a lot more stuff from the first half of the stuff before the dream than the second half. And when I did catch it, I was like, oh, yeah, that was – there was a clock. Like that sort of shit. Right. So – and I don't know. Maybe it is the slow cinemas issue. Um, So what – you sent me – and I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to watch that doc, (laughs) but I've read the – I've read things on slow cinema before. Right.
1: So slow cinema is kind of um, sort of aligned with the movement of, of slowing down the world. There's, you know, there's slow food, there's slow fashion. And the idea there is that um, we are not embracing the sort of um, way in which the world can be enjoyed. And 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 I think the, the slow, for example, the slow food movement is, you know, the, the sort of step back towards, um, you know, growing your own grains, you know, taking time to cook food, enjoying the pleasure of the minutiae mm-hmm. of moments. And slow cinema, uh, in many respects, and I think this is sort of came out of a Sight and Sound article, but, but there's been a few essays about it as well, um, also bears that out. And I think there are many filmmakers that kind of embody the slow cinema kind of aesthetic. Uh, it's weird because this is, um, I feel like, I don't, Unlike, say, for example, the Dogma 95 movement where filmmakers <laughs> came together to create a social construct yes. around their films, this is a set of critics who are kind of connecting the dots between a very disparate group of filmmakers. So my one criticism of like slow cinema as a movement is that it, there is no... I don't think there's any filmmakers who are going out and saying I'm a slow filmmaker. It's more that critics are kind of interpreting a different way to view films, and I think I, I, I think it's equally interesting, but just a very different uh, sort of perspective. And um, the the thing that I was think was interesting in the article uh, in the uh, video that I'll post on uh, Twitter. Is this idea that slow cinema is also a reflection of a of a somewhat anti-capitalist approach to cinema, mm. which is that you know capitalism uh, is is entirely about productivity and about using each moment to its mo- to its fullest extent to create products, to create commerce, to create sort of uh, 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 a sort of um, exchange of ideas and goods in a sort of in a sort of way that is that is um, understandable and consumable and and what slow cinema is and i love that in every slow cinema essay by the way they always use michael bay as the antithesis of slow cinema um but uh, yeah but i love the idea that in slow cinema the idea is that we are uh absorbing and sitting in moments to basically enjoy boredom and to, to 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 have boredom be the functionality of what we're doing. Now, I don't, uh, this film, um, Slow uh, uh, Long Day's Journey in Tonight, which by the way isn't the exact title uh, translation in, in Chinese. Good, because um, there's a play. We'll, we'll talk about yeah. Eugene O'Neill in a second. Um, but uh, the, I, I don't think this film actually fits into that category of slow cinema exactly as it's talking about, because there are, like, you know, uh, I've been to the theater and seen uh, Theo Angelopoulos's film, Ulysses, a Gaze, uh, Ulysses Gaze, which is. Very much, th- what I think slow cinema is talking about, and this film actually references Tarkovsky's Stalker, um, which uh, you know that shot that you mentioned where the 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 glass is kind of like yeah. rattling because of a train. That's kind of a direct riff from Stalker. Um, and the thing that it got me thinking about in terms of slow cinema was this idea that I like. I have a copy of Stalker sitting on my on my shelf, uh, and I've kind of always. Put off watching it. I've seen Stalker a couple of times, and then like whenever I sit down to watch it now, or you know, where I think I might be in the mood, I'm like, ah, is this because it's a three hour movie and it's a three hour very long movie that just requires me to kind of sit in it for a long time? Is is this the most productive use of my time? You know, like you know, I've got so many things I need to be doing. I need to be making money. I need to be like productive. I need to like create things. I need to like organize for this and this and this. But that's what slow cinema is about. Is that you know, as far as an interpretive sort of interpretation of slow cinema is, is, is to sit in those moments and allow long periods of nothingness wash over us and not to feel, not to feel like that is a waste of time. But in fact, that is the, that is what time is. And, you know, like slow cinema often references time. This film references time quite a bit. You know, we have a broken clock and, you know, his entire photo is hidden inside a inside a clock. Is that time, you know, like we we sort of Place upon ourselves this idea that time has to be used, but couldn't time just be lived? And, you know, like, I think that to me is a beautiful idea. Now, I don't, you know, like, I, I, you know, we live in a Western culture where we, uh, you know, we live in New York City. Uh, New so York City. Yeah, we're watching this in New York City. Where we're like, we live by, you know, subway timetables. We live by our iPhones. We walk and talk by the, you know, like we we talk about cinema in in sort of metrics that are like, is this a value usage of your time? And <laughs> yeah. and and I, but but I think the the, the sort of the promise of slow cinema or the, the sort of potential of slow cinema is to like force yourself to strip all of that away and just be. And I think that is a beautiful idea. Now, whether you're, you know, whether you're willing, the kind of person that's willing to do that is entirely over to you. Uh, I, I'm certainly not, you know, like Tarkovsky's stalker is sitting on my shelf unopened. Uh, but I like the idea and, I, and, and thinking about slow cinema and you know, this idea is making me go, I should just let myself go and watch that movie and not think of it as a waste of time and, and, not, and not even consider what time and value means in the situation, just be.
0: But here's the rub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weirdly, <laughs> it's not up to you whether or not you experience that in that way and what i mean by that is if something is effective slow fast medium what doesn't really matter you're engrossed in it uh i think again i'll go i know it gets bombastic eventually but this will get sort of to my final point about slow cinema versus fast cinema or whatever mother for me personally it's a it's a slow burn in the beginning and then it ramps up right right even during the slow parts i am there I am taken out I never see the the slow time as a waste of time I am just in it to experience it and I'm lost in it. And that I'm not saying that's for everybody of course it's not but that's just the example that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Something like stalker um which I have not seen. But the but I'm I'm wondering like if you and it could be two different mindsets. It could be two different days for you. Mm-hmm. Like if it was a Saturday afternoon and for some reason you had nothing to do and like your family was off visiting some folks or like whatever and you were just sitting around and you popped in stalker, I could hundred percent see you just being like, yeah, and getting into that flow state that you've just described. If it was a Tuesday, if, if, if it was a Tuesday and you just finished dinner and like you wanted to hang out with your wife or your kid had to be put to sleep or something like that, and you were gonna watch Stalker, you're you might experience that, you would experience that differently. And it's it's not. So there's, there's when and how you experience it, but then also, it, and, that, and that's sort of my um, example of your mindset for it. I mean, it could those entire opposite uh, times could be exchanged, but your brain could be still working in that way. Right. Um, so I don't think it's up to, weirdly, I don't think it's up to the viewer's conscious self to determine whether or not they're going to enjoy something like that. I think it is very subjective to time, place, and mood. Isn't that the viewer's conscious self? No, the, I, I, the the con- that's, a, that's a subconscious thing. I really think. I can't. Okay. I, I, I can't, I can't consciously saying. sit down and be like, I want to watch Stalker right now and ma- and, I, and make sure I have a good experience with. it. I can't do that with any film.
1: Well, okay, but here uh, here's where uh, I, I'm sort of the where I thought your argument was going. Was well, I basically- wasn't done
0: with it, so maybe I tangented too hard. Okay, all right, we'll continue then. I was just going to say, so so back to sort of slow versus fast. Yeah. Um, for me, and it's how I experience things. I don't want a full portion of either i want to film i find the films that engage with me the most are films that uh undulate either back and forth or ramp up or even sometimes ramp down depending on how you're you're dealing with it i don't want to watch something where the pace is the same the entire way through be that drive or a michael bay transformers bullshit movie because it just washes over me in the most uh ineffective way possible. Mm-hmm. Um it's I the way my brain works with sort of uh narrative interaction is of course there's what's actually happening in the story, but to help me connect to that, I kind of need to be kept a little bit and, and this sounds more like I'm leaning towards fast, but I don't think it does, on my toes. I need, I need, I need there to be a wave of of the speed at which I am experiencing a thing.
1: So I think the thing, where I thought your argument was going to go uh, was that when you said, um, I don't think it's up to you to how you interpret slow cinema. That's kind of what you
0: said, right? I <laughs> meant like emotionally con- connect with or feel like it's okay. An okay, an okay look, feel like it's an okay use of your time.
1: And and I thought what you were going to say there was that it's over to the filmmaker to how they use your time. Is that, the,
0: that's not the, quite the, what you said. It's, it's a balance. How do I put it? The movie is the movie. Therefore, right. the filmmaker has created what the filmmaker has created. Right. Right. So it's it's a let's call that a fixed point. Mm-hmm. The, the movie's not going to change based on your mood but your interpretation of the movie will change on your mood, your place, your timing.
1: Yeah, and that's and that is how you choose
0: to interpret a movie. And and that's well, no, and no, no, that's no. what so these... you can you you can choose, you can choose. Sorry, but I just want to make sure I'm, no. I cuz I don't think I've been entirely clear. Right. Uh, you can obviously choose at what time you watch a movie. Right. But you often can't depending on what you you know, your responsibilities are. Maybe you have to do it for a review, maybe right. you're doing it for leisure. Um your mindset oftentimes you don't get to choose the mood you're in. Why not? You're telling me that you've never been uh, upset or happy or sad without yourself telling yourself, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be upset. Things happen with your – our brains – let's get into this. Our brains are chemical reactions of things that create emotions that we feel. Right. Um Oftentimes we can put ourselves in positions where we know we will enjoy something. Oftentimes we go to things where we know we will be sad. Uh, but I, many many times, and maybe I'm more manic than others. I don't know. But I don't have full control of my emotions at all times.
1: Right. But and that's fine. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that. But I'm. I'm saying uh, the, the It's just the the two things that I don't quite connect here, which is that this thing that you said where uh, you don't get to choose, but we do. Get to you know, like if you're in the right mood for it, you can enjoy it, and if you're in the wrong mood for it, you won't enjoy it. Is that what you're saying? I, I'm
0: I'm I'm unclear about what you're the, saying. And let's even go beyond enjoyment. You can engage with it, right? right? Um, slow cinema. I feel like for me, I can only speak for me. Yeah, I, I've very rarely been in the point in my life where I could sit down and watch a piece of slow cinema and be like, let have that have that sort of uh, flow state or Zen state that you've sort of described of being like. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just Take the time and sit and and relish in the idea of going back to the food, like growing your own grain and doing this stuff, and not live in our New Yorkish sort of thing. I feel like for me personally, films have never been able to do that for me. Right. Um, I think things like meditation, other things outside of looking at a screen, do that for me. Sure. Uh, and, and I can't really speak, but I'm <laughs> saying overall, the film. It, it's weird because it's not like it's it's up to you on when you decide to watch the film. Right. But you don't always have the uh, emotional agency to experience this flow state that you've desired.
1: I think I think what the the point that I'm unclear about in terms of your interpretation is I feel like you're rejecting the hypothesis of what slow cinema's potential could be, which is this idea that we don't have to interpret films as a value per moment kind of equation. We could just be in moments, and and I and I and I'm and and I'm saying that's the potential of how you could interpret what slow cinema might mean. And uh, the-, the same in the same way, like you might go instead of fast food, I'm going to enjoy food, and and you can make a choice about that, right? Like I, the, it's the thing where you, where you said you've got no choice in it that, that confuses me.
0: I mean, that's just. I was just talking about your emotional state and being able to get into the state at which you talked about enjoying. Man, that but, sort of I mean, again, that just, might be a okay. side thing. Let's even because that, just that might not be important. If,
1: just the thing, If you choose to engage in that state
0: and be in that thing, that's your choice, right? You can't choose to be in that state.
1: What? Why can't
0: you choose? You can choose to try to be in that state, and maybe you'll get there.
1: I I do, I, I don't understand what you're I think saying.
0: we're getting. I think <laughs> I'm I might have misspoken or <sighs> got off the point too much. Okay. Uh, let's back up. Yeah, yeah, let's to- back up just to cinema here. Yeah, the hypothesis
1: here is that could you, uh, you know, could could you just see a moment? Like, and, and the reason I bring this up is that, for example, uh, I've only seen, the, one of the, the classic, uh, you know, the film that's referenced in slow cinema sort of theory, and it's a very new, new theory, is uh, Antonioni's film La Ventura, which came out at the Cannes Film Festival in 1966. Okay. I want to say. I've seen that movie. That movie was booed out of Cannes for being too slow, too boring, too uh, too, uh, too difficult to engage with. The movie has since then become like this heralded um, moment in Italian neorealism cinema, and it is talked about and is and you know is <laughs> is often thought. And I've only seen it once. The, the backlash first, to the backlash. And the first time I saw it, I admit I was bored. I'm. It's now been over 20 years since I've seen that film, and I vividly remember it. Um, there's a film called La Quattro volto uh, which I watched on Netflix when I moved to America. I was very excited to see this film, and it's basically a film about death and it's about like this uh you know there's that old idea archimedes idea uh, uh, human beings, uh, animal, mineral, spiritual. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this film is basically, you just see a person die, and then they reincarnate into an animal, and we, we're there with them in an animal, then they reincarnate into mineral. And and it, there's like long, there's this amazing sequence in it um, where we, he the the creature, the the spirit reincarnates into this goat. And and w- there's a sequence where we're just watching this goat go back and up and down a street. I think it's like for 12, 15, maybe more um thing is I vividly remember it. And I and I what I'm talking about, I guess, is I want to the, the promise of the idea of slow cinema theory for me is getting back to that moment, to those moments where I am just in those moments. And they're so vivid in my brain. And and I think the thing, it sort of comes back to why we do this film in amongst the Detective Pikachu and a John Wick and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. is the idea that that cinema Holds such a breadth of promise and this is why I love the medium Yeah, you know, so you sort of talked about meditation and, and being other spaces where you can kind of get that for me You know, this is always you know cinema is my medium This is what I what I live and breathe and for me the possibilities of endless spectrums of what cinema can be is exciting and and um, is what is fulfilling about it and and I think the only the only thing I sort of butt up against in terms of what you're saying, and I I don't quite understand what you're I saying. Don't even go back terms. to it because it's not
0: important to be it, honest. It, like it, I want to get back is to the what idea you've of said. choice. Well, it, we we can get to that after yeah. if we want to. I just want to say I 100 agree with what you just said about sort of the ability of cinema to have this sort of breadth of being able to do all of those things. Yeah. Um. I. The, sometimes in cinema, like Mother, let's say, I get into a flow state with it because it is so slow. Sometimes I get into a flow state with something that I'm really enjoying, like Avengers, because I am emotionally tied to literally something that is incredibly bombastic. The speed at which I am presented a thing doesn't matter as long as, weirdly enough, it's part of the balanced breakfast. Like, as long as I am getting enough of everything I desire in my cinematic storytelling if we're just talking about pacing. I get bored when something is consistently all one thing all the time. And that's why movies are great, because you can go and find things that are different when like we we've literally we've undulated from burning to Detective Pikachu to a long day's journey into night. And next week we're doing John Wick. This is my John Wick 3. This is what I live for when it comes to movies because if you watch just all one thing that sucks and I think that you can look at that from a a large scale perspective of a bunch of different cinema sort of what you've mentioned but also I think it for me personally I tend to enjoy films that from a pacing perspective move between different paces in the films I haven't connected with John With uh, John I haven't connected with uh, Michael Bay's Transformers uh, past the first one because I think they're just a shit show of flashy lights and bullshit like I just I can't even get remotely into them and in this particular film for the first two thirds I was just like okay like nothing grabbed me enough narratively and despite it being beautiful and I do think the actors doing a good job in the style in which they were directed it didn't catch me Um, so that's sort of where I stay I, I want I, I like it when there is a varying thing both either we can talk about in a specific film or in the breadth of films that I watch. Just to sort of clarify, and I think I, I overstepped when we were talking about this. I, I tangented too hard to the right about your choice in enjoying a thing. I merely meant that for me, the mood I am in will affect whether or not I will en- thoroughly enjoy a film that I will be watching. Mm-hmm. And personally, again, I don't get to choose my mood all the time. That's really all I was saying, and I don't even remember how I got there based on the speed conversation. I think it was because we were talking about sort of, like, being lulled into a state of, like, just letting time go and, like, kind of have that nice sort of meditative moment with a film. I think I kind of got latched onto a thing where I'd be like, I've literally been like, I'd like that right now, and I know my brain won't let me do it. Right. So and no, and no And what I'm saying personally, and this will sort of be the end of that thought for me— mm-hmm. I've never found a film that can take me from being like I want to be relaxed right but uh, my brain's going crazy I've never experienced the film that's like here calm down and like get me to it without me feeling like the pace of my thought process and the film were not meshing and so that's just a me thing maybe films can't do that for me and maybe they can do it for you or other people Um, I think that's where I was going and I'm sorry that I took us on such a long way around to a point that didn't really need to be
1: made (laughs) Uh, it's just uh, I guess we have different uh, ways of processing our emotions Maybe, no, you know, um, I want to, uh, but t- you know, to the to the broader point, um, I think I'm interested in the prospect of slow cinema, and it makes and sort of diving into it has made me rethink things. For example, I saw um, another film, Zama, uh, directed by Lucretia Martel, who was almost tapped to direct a, a Marvel film this year, and she made what is the prototypical slow cinema movie mm. uh, with like very long takes and. And and I didn't enjoy it as I was watching it, but then like framing it in this idea of slow cinema kind of allowed me to rethink that movie and go, oh, maybe I should go back and revisit that. And I and I'm kind of curious about this idea. Uh, I, I particularly the thing that struck me is this sort of anti-capitalist nature of like allowing time not to be a value production uh, mode of experience. And I think I think I I really like that idea. Whether I'm uh, always in the zone for it or not is is not quite right but but i'm i'm interested in like now that you know i have this sort of framing device for how to think about time because of the the sort of movement in cinema that i can i i think i have a different way i can interpret it. and i think i would interpret long day's journey into night in a different way i agree with you i actually you know like i found the film to be somewhat uh thin you know like the 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 comparison is is often made to Wong Kar Wai's movies, where it's 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 a film about a man trying to find a woman or a woman trying to find a man, you know, in the mood for love, uh, Chungking Express, Fallen Angels, all mm-hmm. those kinds of films. And I think those films have kind of a dyna- a dynamism to them, where there is an undulation of back and forth between what is at stake and what isn't at stake. That's not quite what this movie is doing. Yeah, uh, but that's you know certainly I react more to that and i find myself more engaged in that Mm -hmm. but i'm i'm excited by the idea of watching this in a sort of a different maybe poetic state of mind where i'm kind of like absorbing the moments for what they are and you know like that's not to say the way i'm interpreting is true to life you know like my life is probably closer to long day's journey into night where you're just kind of thinking about things and you're not sure what's real and what's not and you're just kind of sitting around imagining the world um, you know, that's probably actually closer to what my, my actual life is like. So I'm sort of excited about that. I, I, I wanted to just to bounce off another, uh, a response to the movie. Uh, we, I was trying to bring on, uh, this guest, Mike Fu, great name, uh, who's the assistant dean at Parsons University, uh, Parsons College to talk about uh, Burning, but he couldn't make it. But he, he mentioned in his email to me that you know if you want to talk about Long Day's Journey Tonight, I've got some thoughts about it. <laughs> He's got uh, some thoughts. And he didn't like it. Um, while I appreciated Bygones' directorial debut, Kylie Brew- Blues, I have to say this follow-up feature felt gimmicky and absolutely Ooh. lacking in substance. I've told many of my friends this. The trailer is the movie is the trailer. You don't get much more plot. It's moody AF, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. But the style is not enough to keep a movie of this length afloat. What poor use of Wing, uh, Tang Wei. Uh, I would be curious to hear what your takeaways for this movie was. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I think we've kind of given our takeaways. If you want to email us in uh, with your thoughts, if you've seen Long Day's Journey into Night, uh, please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. I will say one final thing dun, dun, dun. Uh, to do with Eugene O'Neill. This movie only, if, if we've said Long Day's Journey into Tonight many, many times on this, uh, on this episode, you might be thinking of the Eugene O'Neill play for which the translation of this title only shares the name with Long Day's Journey tonight The original Chinese translation is Last Wandering on Earth, I believe it's called. Uh, um, Last Evening on Earth, uh, which is the title of a short story by Roberto Bolano uh, Bil- about people wandering around Chile and Latin America with unusual quests, which I think is actually a closer. Yeah, why not just call it that? I think it's just the the, the translation from one to the other. But you just
0: <laughs> did a better. You just did a, uh, a, a like if if what you just read is the accurate translation of like the words as they are written, like as you. Know, as far as I know, I, I don't I speak know, I, I know, And really. I'm not su- but let's assume for this argument. Yeah. That title is way better and more pertinent than than ripping off a Eugene O'Neill play. But if you're a marketer in China who wants or if you're a looking at those of the sweet fruit, Eugene O'Neill dollars, yeah, looking at those
1: sweet Eugene O'Neill dollars, you might be going, you know what? I could tap into that to that that money. Well, Eugene, they just did Long Day's Journey in tonight at uh, BAM with uh, Jeremy Irons, so maybe there is a
0: wave of uh. Eugene O'Neill that this film is riding on. Uh, Jamie is, thought it was going to be, because she was going to go with me, and then when she's like, "How was it?" and I described it, she's like, "That's not what uh, how I remember it." Yeah,
1: that's not that play. <laughs> this this film shares a title in translation only, but yeah, the uh, the the closer Chinese translation again, I'm getting this from Justin uh, Chang's article, is "Last Evenings <laughs> on Earth," um, which is, uh, but it's not an adaptation of Roberto Bolaño's stories. Um, you know. Titles
0: all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah um,
1: It's kind of sorcering our oh, kind of a way. Oh that. God! Go uh, check it, out that podcast. Yeah, Test of Time podcast. We were on there, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago, talking about the movie Sorcerer. Um, and uh, next week we will be talking about a man and his dog,
0: uh, and a woman and her two dogs. Oh, is that what's happening? I've only seen the first one, and I saw it you while need I was to a... see the second one. What I love about these films, I'll talk about it next week, is each one takes place like five minutes after the last one, and it's so. Fun. I think I'll set this up as a preamble.
1: This is not a point to discuss uh, yet. We'll discuss it next week. But I tweeted you or I, I texted you when I watched John Wick One on vacation, uh, and and I said John Wick feels like Fifty Shades of Grey made for fourteen year old boys.
0: Let's talk about that. I next have week. a very interesting. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about that. Next week. Well, before that, Shaheer, when you are not just surfing the dreamscape of Eugene O'Neill to its maximum potential, where can folks find you? You can find me
1: misinterpreting Eugene O'Neill at my website, (laughs) www.shaheerdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are uh, choosing whether to be Engaged or unengaged in a film, where can people find you?
0: You can find me never having that choice at M-A-T-T-H-E W K R O L dot com for my life and works. Also skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram, N P S N and Emperor M S K on Twitter. Also, you can find my good works over at Extra Credits on YouTube. Shaheer, we're doing a bit of a film thing. Oh. Uh next week, extra and credits. You didn't call me. Uh sorry, buddy. And well, because I didn't write it. Um it uh it was on the cool shove effect. Oh, yep, the and, and we are basically, uh, we bring it up, and we bring up how it came about, and then the Hitchcock tie-ins, of course, and there's also a shameless oh. plug for us, don't worry, uh, but then it, how games can do it, and yeah. and can games do it? Um, and if they could, how could they do it? Now, this uh, came up
1: uh, in our Bandersnatch episode when, uh, I think it was James Portnow, yep. your your boss, mm-hmm. asked me about uh, how cinema can create interpretive events, and I think I, I went on to... Talk about the coolest yeah. effect in that
0: episode. So it's all, all ties time. in. Yeah. Uh, so we got that going up, and uh, a couple other wonderful things over there. This has been the only podcast about the film Long Day's Journey Into Night
1: or Last Man, Last Evening on Earth. This has <laughs> been
0: the last podcast <laughs> of Long Evening on Earth. the only org.
1: podcast on movies about movies on Earth on the planet Mars.
0: Good night, <laughs> and good luck.